I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello and welcome to My Favourite Work of Art with me, Dr Laura Jane Foley. Each week I'm joined in the studio by a guest who tells me all about an artwork that means something to them. Today, my guest is the jewellery specialist and broadcaster Geoffrey Munn. Geoffrey is a familiar face on our television screens, having joined BBC One's Antiques Roadshow in 1989. He is the longest serving jewellery specialist on the show. He recently stepped down as Managing Director of the Mayfair Jewellers Wartzgiz, a company he had worked for for more than 45 years. Geoffrey has also organised many specialist exhibitions, including the 2002 Tiaras exhibition at the Victorian Albert Museum in London. He is a Fellow of the Society of Antiquaries and has written five books about jewellers and jewellery. I'm delighted he's joining me today. Welcome, Geoffrey. Good morning. Hello. So tell me, what is your favourite work of art? Well, it's almost a holy grail, really. Exciting. When I I was... um, (laughs) A little more than a, a boy and had begun um, working at Wartsky when I was just a bit older than 19, I um, heard about the existence of a gold watch designed by the famous pre-Raphaelite artist Dante Gabriel Rossetti. And um, there was circumstantial evidence of its existence, quite complicated really, um, but the watch had not shown itself. And to bring the two worlds of pre-Raphaelite painting and precious metal work together um, would be an atomic explosion. Really. It was hugely exciting. So I set about the idea of finding the watch designed by Rossetti. So can you remember how you came across it? I came across it. Um, there was a short article published in the Burlington magazine that showed um, tracings of, of the of Rossetti's original design and the fact that it had been shown at the Ecclesiological Society um, uh, 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 by a subsequent owner. And that owner was a man called E.R. Robson, who was a very distinguished architect. And this was well before the computer searches and this, that and the other. So it really meant you had to walk and do it. Mm. And so um, I went to the um, uh, the Wilson probate and um, fished out his will. And the first line of the will said, I leave my Rossetti watch uh, to my daughter, Alatia Robson. And so we knew it definitely existed because we certainly did. it wasn't just designs, it was actually created. Absolutely. And, and, and that was the only evidence, really, at the Ecclesiological Society. But the will made it certain that it was, one could hold it in one's hand, it was a reality. And um, Alatia Robson uh, was his daughter. And so back to Wilson probate, um, uh, fished out her will. And um, there was no mention of it in, the, in, in, in her will at all, although she'd been left it by her father. Um, so I thought, well, this 
got to take this a bit further and tried every possible avenue of research and discovered that she'd been living in Greenwich. So Caroline and I drove over there and banged on the door, but she'd long gone with the watch. But um, uh, that wasn't good enough for me. And I can actually remember lying in the bath thinking, what on earth is the next step to try and find this great, great treasure? And, um, and I determined that the best thing to do was to actually go back to Greenwich and see the vicar and say, will you say over the pulpit on Sunday that this lunatic Jeffrey Mum would like <laughs> to contact Alatia Robson um, in, in the search for the watch? And so somebody got up and said, oh, yes, yeah, she's moved to Florida. Anyway, letter from Wartsky where I was working and uh, asking her uh, whether she still had it. And she wrote back on an aerogram saying, yes, I do have it. Oh. Well, that was huge. And, and And so even on my very low budget and um, full of excitement, I wrote to her and I said, I'd love to come over and see it. Three or four weeks later, a letter came, well, I'd love to see you, but I can't find it. Oh, dear. And it never has been found. Oh, which is um, the excitement of it all. I'm just hoping, frankly, that our conversation today just smoke it might smoke it out. I've tried Absolutely. everything else. I've tried showing it on the Antiques Roadshow. I've tried here, there and everywhere in Scotland. How fascinating. It, so for our listeners, um, mm-hmm. can you describe the watch? Because we have what we have left are um, designs that he drew. Um, so we know what it looks like, but could you describe it perhaps? Yes, absolutely. And it has two faces of decoration, if you like. Um, the back of the watch is... Um, decorated with a with a a bird a japanese style bird and it is very japanese in the aesthetic taste and it's very significant um to the provenance of the watch but the real clue to it is when you open the watch the dial the rather conventional dial um centers on a portrait of sun the sun and the moon um um personifications of the sun and the moon and um to the to the specialist eye we can see that it's a portrait of Dante Gabriel Rossetti and Elizabeth Siddle um now their story was quite tragic wasn't it yes i mean desperate yeah. and she came from a very humble um background and she um, had red hair and a very pallid face and, and a very um, famous i mean she was a famous artist and poet in Rouen, but she was a famous artist model wasn't she yes very much so and and um and he was um besotted with her to begin with and painted her endlessly and and sketched her and um but anyway things began to go badly wrong because he's had a roving eye and um it was definitely the eye I delighted on other women and also a certain amount of neglect and she resorted to opiates to try to dull the pain of that he he married her almost out of pity and hastings and i think it's only 18 months after the wedding um that she's became pregnant and um and then even more tragedy possibly the result of the opiates the child was dead in her womb um and and she gave birth to a dead child and that was really um the end of her i think in terms of depression mm. and suicide and it's thought that she took her own life with with opiates opiates and and so rossetti was remorseful is the right word um utterly remorseful because he had neglected her and he wasn't faithful to her and he immediately embarked on a commemoration which was this watch so it was absolutely loaded with emotional content and excitement for me mm. and um and then we got to fast forward about a third of a century easily done i assure you <laughs> and um i got a, a, a letter from um alatia robson's descendants saying that they've been going through her her effects, and that they had not found the watch, but they had found the original design for the watch by Dante. So Gable. she believed 
when you were in correspondence with her in Florida, she believed she actually owned the watch. She had it in her possession. I don't think there's a shadow of doubt that she did have it in her possession. Right. She said it was much bigger than you might expect, which uh, backs up certain theories that I've got. And and um, um, and I think possibly that she sold it and was too embarrassed to tell me right. that she'd done that um, because she was being hounded by this youth in London. <laughs> So um, fast forward anyway, and then the, orig- the family said we found the original design by Dante Gabriel Rossetti for the watch, and we don't know what to do with it, and they invited me to buy it from them, and I was thrilled. And, um, and, and, and so I have it, and, and it stimulated another um, uh, surge of research, if you like. And um, it is a long story cut short, but it seems almost absolutely certain that the watch was conceived for his own use. And um, and it was made within four months of Elizabeth Siddle's death, which was possible in the 19th century. Mm. And, um, and, and um, later on, a, a photograph emerged of the watch in the family, and we can see that it doesn't meet Rossetti's um, specifications um, in the design, that it's altogether cruder. Um, Elizabeth Siddle looks like a man. Um, Rossetti looks rather hopeless. All kinds of things have gone wrong. And so I think that when it was delivered to him, uh, only months after um, Elizabeth Siddle's death, there was probably a blazing row with Morris and co who had made it because it didn't work for him. Right. And I think he foisted it on to E.R. Robson, the architect, in order to to get away from it yes. and probably receive money for it because he was very famous. And poor old Robson thought it was the bee's knees for the rest of his life <laughs> and um, and wrote a little, a little sonnet devoted to the watch. So anyone out there, please, if you have a watch with the sun and the moon on the dial, and if you have the Japanese emblem of death, the ho-ho bird on the other side in black enamel, I want you to get in touch and rather quickly. <laughs> so how long has this been... You've been fixated with it. How long has it been? It is a fixation, and um, it's got to be uh, at least forty years. And um, and I think one day it will. It will, it will. it will turn up because it's that sense, isn't it, of, of of people having something in their collection, they're not sure what it is. Yes. And then it, they need to go and sell it, and then at that point, hopefully. Yes. Yes. Somebody alarm bells will ring, it. and someone will say, "Jeffrey Munn." <laughs> well, I hope so, and it'll be a watch specialist who identifies it. I hope, but it's a strange phenomenon because as a watch, it's not as a movement, it's not even particularly distinguished. It's made of gold, which is slightly the enemy. It could be, could even have been melted because nineteenth. Um, things were held in such poor regard. But it is the crystallization of the pre-Raphaelite movement. It actually, time flies, but love remains. It's an emblem of death, the most tragic relationship mm. in the pre-Raphaelite world. And it involves... And all that symbolism as yes, well. Yes. It's a perfect pre-Raphaelite item, Completely. isn't it? But you, of course, own the sketch Yes. By Rossetti's hand. I do. So, yes. in a sense, that's the true artwork by well, Rossetti, because this is just the, as you say, it's not. It, you, perhaps because of the photograph you saw, it's not actually a very good likeness for the drawing that Rossetti did. Well, that is very perceptive of you, and it did dawn on me actually when I received it that this was altogether a more autograph object. Absolutely. This is from the hand of Rossetti. It's annotated by him with very specific instructions, and um, the, it, it was then given to Morris and Co to make. They farmed it out to somebody else disastrous results. So in a sense, the design is more the Rossetti watch than the Rossetti watches itself. 
So can you remember when you first became interested in jewellery and art? Um, well, I, I, um, it's a rather curious uh, circumstance, really, because I wanted to go to university to read English. But in those days, you had to have dazzlingly good grades at A-level. And I didn't get them. And I was pretty despondent. And then um, a friend of the mother of a friend of mine said, you better look in the personal column of the Daily Telegraph um, where there's an interesting advertisement. And it said, um, assistant required in well-known antique shop. And I'd only been to London three times in my life. I didn't know where Piccadilly Circus was. I'd never met a vagrant. And I was a lettuce leaf in every other department. <laughs> and then I was thrown into this extraordinary environment of Watsky in Regent Street in those days, um, which was hugely exciting. And um, I had a great busby of black hair and a beard. It's all very sort of faded hippie stuff. <laughs> and um, three days into my work, I opened the door and it was King Constantine of Greece. It was King Constantine of Greece. And um, and that was the baptism of royal fire for me. Absolutely, because it's a, it's a firm very much associated with the royal family. Yeah. I mean, I believe um, Catherine Middleton, as she was, had her wedding ring made by you, is that Absolutely, right? by, by Watsky, yeah. And, and, um, and it was made of Welsh gold. Wales is a principality. We're in a United Kingdom, so there's a very subtle distinction there um, that it, 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 Wales is not a kingdom. And in order to draw the, the principality into the United Kingdom, there are all kinds of covert references made left, right and centre. He's Prince of Wales, but also the use of Welsh gold brings Wales into, to, um, into, the, in, 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 into the United Kingdom thoroughly and completely. The royal family are very keen to to, to make that point. Mm. So how does it work when a member of the royal family comes to a jeweller's with a commission? Um, well, the thing is, I'm going to go all discreet now. Oh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> no, there are certain lines one doesn't, one, it's not clever to cross. Um, but patronage, royal patronage has always been hugely important to... But are they personally involved or is it something that is, is you know, they're... they're their assistance to No, I, th I think uh, the patronage of all members of the royal family going back in deepest antiquity has been a nice distraction. And um, and the Fabergé things for which the royal collection is very famous and which Watsky is famous for and vicariously a tiny bit me, um, it, it, that was a, a pleasure for um, Queen Alexandra particularly to receive Fabergé objects from, from her sister, the Empress of Russia, gave her at Christmas these little uh, hard stone animals and flowers. And the, the royal collection is very rich as a result. And Fabergé even opened a branch of his firm in London to furnish the court of King Edward VII and Queen Alexandra. So the point about royal patronage is that it's hugely important in art. Queen Victoria and Prince Albert were fascinated by paintings and sculpture, and they never stopped commissioning things. And they were very firm in their stipulations, too. Queen Victoria was said to have approached one painting, a massive uh, uh, oil painting, and uh, where, of a scene where she had been present. And it's obviously taken years to bring it to fruition with sketches and, and this huge canvas and went up to and said, well, it's not how I remember it at all. <laughs> Disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so did your interest really 
begin with walking, working with Vought's kids? It, or when you grew up, was there interest in art and antiques at home? Oh, well, very much. Yeah. I mean, actually, there was no money at all. My father was in the Navy. He never earned more than £3,000 a year. Um, so there was no idea of collecting anything at all serious. And I did go into Brighton, sort of rootling around and finding some interesting things. But as for jewellery, I thought, well, no, that's, that's no good at all. That's like an extension of lingerie, really. And, um, and, and so I was pleased to get a job in London, disappointed that it wasn't in a picture gallery. But then I quickly realised, actually, that, that um, a huge number of highly distinguished artists have involved themselves with metalwork. Here we see Rossetti designing a gold watch. He's very interested in jewellery. But we know that Leonardo da Vinci, Albrecht Dürer, Hans Holbein, um, Polaiolo were all trained as goldsmiths and jewellers, and Cellini. So it's the highest possible art form. Somewhere in the 20th century, this became commercial and I think artists slightly lost the plot there. But it is a very high art form and it's brought into um, into show. In, in If you go to the National Gallery and look at the primitive paintings, the medieval and Renaissance paintings, you'll see the owners of the jewellery are showing you their things on their hand because every single stone has an emblematic function. Mm. I wanted to ask about the Rossetti watch. Is it the only example of um, jewellery that he... Uh, created, he designed? Well, uh, uh, it is the only one from Rossetti, but he had a collection of um, antique jewellery that he used in his paintings. And there was one in the form of a seed pearl shell that he was very uh, keen to represent. And sometimes he would swap the colours. So uh, the Chinese kingfisher feather jewellery is iridescent blue and green, but in his paintings he turns it red because it suits him. Mm. So they're props. But as for designing it, I think this is the only thing he, we can say that he designed in precious metal work. Um, but not so Edward Byrne-Jones. Um, he was very, very keen on jewellery and made several experiments, most of them disastrous, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, Geoffrey, uh, thank you so much for coming in and sharing that fascinating story. And I do hope that anybody listening goes and has a route around in their grandmother's drawers. Well, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Their grandmother's chest of drawers. Yeah. And, uh, and has a look and sees if they can find this fascinating watch. Thanks so much for coming in, Geoffrey. Well, a great pleasure, obviously. Thank you very much. Thank you. Today we were talking about a watch designed in 1862 by painter and poet Dante Gabriel Rossetti in tribute to his late wife, Elizabeth Siddle, an artist, poet and model. Rossetti was born in 1828 and died aged 53 in 1882. He was a founding member of the Pre-Raphaelite Brotherhood, a group of English painters, poets and critics who were fascinated by medieval culture and sought a return to the art of Raphael and his predecessors. The watch design is full of the rich symbolism of mythology so associated with the Pre-Raphaelites. Whilst we know that the watch dial and movement were made by Cousins Matthews and Thorpe in London and the watch case by Robert Gideon Macaire of Clerkenwell, the watch itself is missing. All that remains are Rossetti's initial sketches for the watch, copies of which can be found in the collection at Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery. If you would like to see the work of art we were discussing this week, or carry on the conversation further, you can find me on Twitter, at Laura Jane Foley. And if you want to discuss a show, please use the hashtag MyFavouriteWorkOfArt. The show was recorded at Wise Budder in London and was edited by Liam Clayton. The title music is Blue from Colours by Dimitri Scarlatto. I hope you'll be able to join me next time. Goodbye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.